Well, good morning. As Ben said, uh, Daniel and Will are at a wedding today. So um, we have the privilege of having Tim Howe here with us. Now, for some of you who have been with us for a while, you will recognize Tim. Uh, for those of you, though, who are not, I just want to give you a brief introduction. Uh, Tim is uh, with the Northwest Baptist Convention, and uh, he helps church planners. He helps and helps people who are creating new churches um, in this area. He's been a personal coach of Daniel's and the Mountain Church since the beginning. Um, he's kind of went through everything with us, and uh, so he very much, to us, the elder board feels like a, an extension and a part of us, uh, someone we uh, really are happy in our lives to um, be encouraging, um, give us wisdom, um, someone we can lean on. So um, today we wanted to have him join us and uh, just bring God's word. Uh, it's He's done this a few times, but I realize it's probably been a while, so I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew who he was. So yeah, um, that's, I mean, I don't have a much grander introduction than that, sorry, but... <laughs> It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm glad there's new faces that I don't know, because that means the church is growing and changing, so it's always a positive thing, and I have been a friend I, uh, of the Mountain Church since before it got started. In fact, you guys may or may not know this, when I started my job, the very first team of people that I assessed included Daniel and Stephanie, so they were the very first people that I got to meet. In fact, I think Stephanie was the first person I met in my new job, so goes back a little wise, little ways. Some of you guys have been, of course, in the area a lot longer. It is a privilege to be here. Uh, I feel like, I'm glad that the way that Nathan mentioned that, I feel like this church is, I extend myself toward the church. I've prayed for this church so much. I thank God for you so much. And my goal is to be an encouragement for the Mountain Church uh, and for Daniel and Stephanie, Will, Nathan, their families, all of you guys, certainly. It's a privilege to be here today, and we're going to be preaching about one of my favorite subjects, that's Samuel in the Bible. And we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3. I assume you've got a little bit of background of the book itself. Samuel is the last, if you look at the book of the books before Samuel, there's a progression that takes place in the life of Israel. And there's these judges that you've probably read about in history, or maybe not. There are these guys that ruled Israel before Israel had a king. And they didn't really rule Israel as much as they kind of gave guidance to Israel. They were oftentimes deliverers from some foreign invasions, kind of how it worked out many times, but they served in a military capacity or a leadership capacity. Samuel is going to be the last one of those sorts of individuals, but his is unique because he's not just a military leader. He's actually a spiritual one as well. Most of those judges weren't related to the, the, the ministry of the Lord in any particular way. They were just called for this one function. People like Gideon, if you remember his name, or Samson, they're the more well-known ones. Samuel, on the other hand, is serving in the temple. He is actually a minister, and he's called to serve God in some unique ways. He's a wonderful life to read about. Samuel probably wrote most of the first part of 1 Samuel itself, so some of this is probably autobiographical, but he obviously has a gift for the Word. In just a moment, I'm going to read 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3, and I want you to listen to pick up on some things that I'm probably going to allude to in the message in just a few moments. But just see, do you hear any kind of literary things going on there? Because there's some unique things happening. It's beautifully written. And certainly would have picked up on if we heard it listen in Hebrew. Uh, there's some play with words going on. There's, think about one thing. I will give you a hint. Think about how many times somebody's name is referenced, okay, when I read this passage. When I'm in a conversation, I don't normally say, hey, Will, blah, 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 and Will, blah, 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 and Will. I don't say his name multiple times. It would get kind of weird after a while, right? But listen for the names in this particular passage. But we're gonna read, we will be reading 1 Samuel chapter 3. 
and uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then I actually will read the very first line of chapter 4 as well, because I think it's, it actually is part of chapter 3. It says, Now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go Lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay down until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more if you hide anything from me of all that he has told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what is good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to shout to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So here we have a passage of a calling of a young man. He's a boy, presumably. He's a, it's, it's an interesting story. Did you pick up on some interesting literary nuances going on in that passage? I mean, we're going to get to it in just a moment, all the name calling that takes place in here. But some other things are happening. And, and but to fully understand what's happening in this passage, we need to actually connect it to the passages preceding it. The passage starts off with a phrase we've already seen numerous times in the book of 1 Samuel. It says that Samuel was ministering to the Lord. Now, that phrase could be uh, translated as Samuel was serving the Lord. He was already in some capacity doing some sort of ministry. We don't know exactly what it was, but there are hints in this passage that tell us what that might be. It says he was living, he was sleeping in the temple. In fact, something that if you know anything about the Old Testament should have just shocked you. It says he was sleeping in the temple of the place where the ark of the Lord was located. Does anyone know where that's located? It's in the Holy of Holies. Who was permitted to go into the Holy of Holies? Virtually nobody. The high priest, one time a year, only after he had gone a very extensive ceremony, because he was cleansed, could he go into the Holy of Holies and then make a sacrifice for what? For the atonement for all of Israel. 
That was the only time anyone was ever allowed to be in the Holy of Holies, at least theoretically. And here the boy, Samuel, is sleeping in the Holy of Holies. How is this happening? It's giving a stark picture of what had happened in Israel at this time. We had come to a point where people were no longer paying attention to God. In fact, it starts off, it says, And in that day, a word of the Lord was rare. As a pastor, many times I would people say, Well, if God just spoke to us today like he did back in the Bible times. You ever heard that? I wish God would just somehow do the miracles or he would reveal himself in ways he did back in the Bible times. As if the Bible times, everything was always just, everyone was following God and everything was hunky-dory, right? Everything's going as it should be. And here we have a picture. That's not the case. In fact, it was rare, not just in the time of Samuel and Eli. It was rare in the entire Old Testament for God to speak to people and people to understand. It was so rare that if you think about it, who was the first person to build the temple? It was Solomon the son of David, a person that Samuel would anoint later on. So there's continuity in that story. He would build the temple, and it says by the end of his own life, he had married so many women and had so many concubines that he ended up filling the temple with altars to other gods. He had at least 1,000 altars, we know, because he made all these alliances, 700 concubines, 300 wives, and presumably he brought one of, their temp- one of the statues from one of their places of worship into the temple for each one of them. So presumably there's a thousand. There were so many, it was so cluttered that hundreds of years later, when the priests were trying to clean up the temple, and literally what it says is they're trying to organize the temple, probably, because if you could imagine, we have this picture of what the temple looks like, right? And the Holy of Holies, and you have the, the show, table of showbread, and you have the menorah. And if you've ever done a study of the temple, you kind of have an idea what it was like, except it wasn't like that for most of its history. For most of its history, it was cluttered with a bunch of idols in there, so many that the priests of the Lord later on stumble across something, and they don't know what it is. And they have to take it back to this other high priest. He goes, I don't know what that is either. But I know a lady who does. Her name's Holda. This is a great story. You should read it sometime. They go, go find out from Holda. What is this? And they take it to Holda, and she goes, that's the word of the Lord. It's literally the Torah. <laughs> and the priest didn't know what it was, and the high priest didn't know what it was, but he knew a lady who would, right? That's how dismissed people come from God, how, how far removed that the people of Israel oftentimes came from God. And we, we picture that in this particular time. A word from the Lord was rare. Now, where was Samuel when this word of the Lord came to him? And that's one of those links we see in multiple. He was ministering to the Lord. Now, we would say he was serving the Lord probably today. But it's interesting because when we think of ministering, we think about ministering to people, right? I was, just, I was just telling Nathan a moment ago that I was in Texas last week on the river ministry. We were talking about ministries to reach people who are in difficult places in their lives. Sometimes they're migrants, sometimes they're poor, sometimes they're kids with educational needs, all kinds of things. Some of the poorest counties in the United States right there on the river. And as we're doing the ministry there, I'm ministering, we're contemplating doing ministry to these people, right? But it says Samuel was ministering to the Lord. How do you minister to the Lord? What Jesus told us, when you feed a hungry person, when you give a cup of cold water in my name, when you visit the sick or those who are imprisoned, you're doing it as if you're doing it to me. I think Samuel was doing ministry, and as best as he understood, but he didn't yet know the Lord. We get that in verse 7. He doesn't yet know the Lord. As best as he knows how, he's trying to serve the Lord. He's been dedicated for that purpose by his mother Hannah. And Eli, whose name means my God, this is a guy that presumably once upon a time worshipped God, but now has allowed his family and his own ministry to get to such a state that he's not hearing from the Lord. He recognizes something is at play here. And judgment is coming on his house. And that's what this whole particular episode is about. But what we see throughout the setting here is the state of where Israel was at the time when God's about to call uh, Samuel. 
And we see a movement throughout this whole episode that God's changing that state. He's bringing some agent of change. Now, a moment ago, I said, pay attention to how many names. Did anyone hear all the times Samuel was mentioned? Samuel this, Samuel this. God calls him Samuel, Samuel, right? So many times. Anyone venture to guess how Maybe there were some in the room that actually counted them. Anyone know how many times Samuel's name was mentioned in this passage of Scripture? If you count the one in chapter 4, it's 25 times. Can you imagine telling a story and you name the main character 25 times in a short period? But Eli's name was mentioned 17 times. And the Lord's name was mentioned 19 times. And this story is really an interaction between these three persons. One who's going to lose what God's given him. One who's going to gain so much more than he can imagine from the Lord. And the agent who's providing it all, the Lord. And there's some beautiful poetic things going on there. Did you pick up in verses 2 and 3 where it says that it's just a random thing. You don't, it doesn't really fit the rest of the story except, oh, but it does. It says that, that Eli's eyes had grown dark, dim. It depends on which translation you have. They'd grown dark or dim. His eyesight was poor. Now, maybe Eli just had bad eyesight, right? But isn't that a beautiful analogy of what's happening? You see, whenever all this happens, Eli recognizes eventually, hey, God's calling. He's speaking to you, Sammy. You need to respond, right? Which presumes to let us know that there was a time when Eli heard from the Lord. He wouldn't recognize something in somebody else he didn't already experience in his own life. And at some point, he must have heard fresh from the Lord. And he, he's remembering it, perhaps. And he's reminding Daniel, Samuel, hey, Samuel, uh, that's God speaking. Maybe longing in his own heart. I wish that was still happening to me. But his eyes had grown dim. What a picture. He's losing his sight of the Lord. But at the same time, it says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. That's attached to that other one sentence. The eyes of Eli had grown dim but not because it was God's fault. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And yes, it may mean there's an actual lamp lit. probably does. But there's another picture there. There's some poetic things happening there that God had not given up on Israel. And just because God's servant had quit serving him, God's servant had quit listening to him, God had found somebody else who would listen. Of course, it's a play on names. Anyone know what Samuel's name means? His name literally means Shema El, he who listens to God. And you've probably heard of the, the, Shema, the Shema, we would say, in Deuteronomy chapter, uh, chapter 6, right? What is that? Hear, O God, Israel. Hear, O Israel, God is one. There is no God but God, right? That's the Shema. That's what you teach your children in the Hebrew faith throughout the Old Testament. Hear, O God, God is one. Hear, O God, hear is the verb. The word hear is Shema. There's a play. Whenever uh, uh, Eli comes to Samuel, he says, Samuel, Samuel. He says, when God speaks, say, here am I. I, am he I hear you, God. Listen, I'm listening. He's saying, Samuel, 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 basically. And it would be Samuel, uh, Samuel, Shema. He's playing with his name. Samuel represents the very people who are going to listen to God. He was set apart for that purpose. His name was given to him for that purpose. And if he's willing to listen to God, God's got an amazing ministry for him. And few people in the Bible match Samuel's impact. Samuel's one that inaugurates the kingdom of Israel. He picks out both the first two kings, Solomon and uh, Saul and uh, David. He is the one that's going to introduce to people the proper worship of God. And his own followers, David, is going to rebuild the temple. He's the one that consecrates the worship of the, of the Lord at Shiloh before it gets moved to Jerusalem. Samuel's this amazing God. And here we have his calling, a calling not unlike we see other people throughout the Scriptures. 
Go back and think about how does God first approach Abraham? He says, Abraham, Abraham. How does he first approach Jacob in the dream? Jacob, Jacob. How does he approach Moses? He says, Moses, Moses, when he's at the burning bush. It's this double call. Same thing with Samuel, Samuel. He's doing the same thing, double calls. And then in this dream-like episode we see happening, and is it a dream? Is it real? Is Samuel just hearing something? Well, some interesting things happen there, but it's very similar to the calling of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, or Jeremiah and Ezekiel in the first parts of those chapters. We see these calling of people, and what's similar about all these people? They accept the calling. We don't have the information of those who refuse the callings because that's not going to be written about. But all these men that God called them, called them for a specific duty or a task, or maybe for a lifetime. And in the cases of the people I just told you about, most of them, it was for a lifetime. Samuel hears that call, and he responds. Now, the call itself is interesting. It's done in threefold, possibly fourthfold, if you want to look at it that way. But God calls Samuel, right? And if, think about what the artist is doing in this passage. God calls, and what does Samuel do? Anybody? He goes to Eli, right? So first of all, he's responding in the way he knows how. He's not yet educated in how the Lord's speaking. So he goes to Eli, who he presumes will know. And what does Eli do? No, I didn't talk to you. Think about what's happening here. God calls, Samuel responds, Eli rejects. That happens again. God calls again. Again, Samuel's aware that God is working. If it's a voice, and if Samuel can run to Eli in the night, presumably Eli is living somewhere in the temple himself. In fact, it says his eyes grow dim, and yet the lamp of the Lord still burn. We presume that that analogy is there because he's also sleeping on the floor. How is he not hearing what Samuel is hearing? He's aware it's going on by the end, but he never, it never says he hears God's voice. And three times we get this picture. That, well, two times he outright rejects Samuel. He says, well, I'm not calling. Go back to sleep. And the third time he sort of rejects him, but now he's curious. Ah, I think I know what's going on. And so we see this clear picture of the one who's willing to hear from God and the one who stopped hearing from God. Maybe it's his own volition. Maybe it's own vice. But whatever the cause is, he's not hearing from God anymore. And this boy is. And for the fourth time when God calls, he's been instructed by Eli. He says, okay, God, here I am. And he hears the message of God. Now, it's a hard message. He's not saying, I'm going to do great things for you, Samuel. He will, and that's an eventual message, but he says, I want you to go tell Eli, essentially, your adopted father, the person who's taking care of you as much as you can remember. Yeah, you saw your mom once a year when she came worship at the temple, but you've lived at the temple. This guy's kind of your dad. I want you to go tell him I'm going to cut him off, and I'm going to curse him. I'm going to judge him. Can you imagine being Eli? Samuel presumably is a young teenager or an older middle school kind of age probably at this point. Can you imagine being the one going to tell Eli, uh, God told me he's going to cut you off. He's going to take away. He's going to basically judge you in a very severe way and, and your sons too. Your sons who Samuel probably knew pretty well. That's the message God gives to Samuel. But what's interesting is Eli says, Samuel, don't hold back. I think Eli knows, right? He knows what's happened. He knows what the word of the Lord is probably going to be. It's not going to be good. Because the way he, he frames the conversation with Samuel, he goes, Samuel, don't hold back. Go ahead. Tell me. Let me hear it. And Samuel does. And what does Eli respond with? As it said, let it be. That's how it translates best in Hebrew. As it was said, let it be. He acknowledges God's will. He recognizes the place he's allowed himself to get to and his sons to get to. And he sees hope, I think, in Samuel. So we see this discourse that takes place throughout all of this, that we're moving from a time of lack. It's a lack in Israel of a fresh word of God. 
to a time when God provides. In fact, that's why I read the very first verse in chapter 4 where it says what? And through Samuel, all of Israel heard a word of the Lord. Samuel's work is going to impact the whole nation. In fact, Samuel will be the one person that starts to unify all the tribes. They've not been unified since they conquered the whole promised land. They've been all living in different tribes. And it's through Samuel's ministry and then eventually the works of Saul and especially the work of David that these tribes become fully unified for the first time since they went into the promised land. God's going to do amazing things through this Samuel who as a boy listened. When God spoke, he listened. When God spoke, he, he was even aware that God was speaking. The story of Samuel is this interesting story. Uh, he's a guy, by the way, if you read ahead, I don't want to get ahead because y'all be preaching through Samuel, 1 Samuel this, this uh, next period. Um, he doesn't always make the best decisions. Of course, when you read the whole Bible, only Jesus made all the best decisions. That's why he died on the cross for our sins and not Samuel or David or anybody else, right? But Samuel goes on to make his own mistakes. But Samuel, for the most part, was a faithful servant of the Lord throughout his ministry. Because why? I think in part his name tells us why. Because he consistently heard from the Lord. And that's where the message becomes poignant for you and me today. God may be calling all of us. He may be calling some of you. I think God's constantly, if you're in a relationship with God, he's calling. Now, we may not all be called to anoint the next king of Israel. All right? That doesn't happen, <coughs> not even in a lifetime. That's a once in a ever kind of thing, right? But I think God's calling us to something. I'm convinced of that in my heart. I used to, uh, I was a pastor at a church, and I used to always tell the folks, pretty much at the end of every message, hey, guys, every member a minister, every member a missionary. If God's called you into his family, he's called you to be a missionary for him. He's called you to be a minister for him to the people in your lives, to people around you, to your neighbors, to people you work with, to your children and to their friends. I mean, God's called us into ministry. And are we going to be like Eli, whose name means, my God, at one point he, he worshiped God. He served as the high priest of the temple of the Lord at the time of the tabernacle. The high priest, he's the guy in charge of all religious affairs for the whole country. If anyone wanted to sacrifice for their personal sins, they went to Eli. He was the final voice, right? And yet it says his eyes had grown dim. He had stopped hearing from the Lord. Now that's a dangerous proposition for us to consider because we can be involved in a lot of church activity and somehow not be in the right relationship with the Lord. It happened to Eli, and it certainly happened to his sons. Go back to chapter 2. I presume you guys heard that last week, right? His sons were pretty corrupt. And they basically said, we'll withhold God's blessings unless you give us what we want. And now God's judging them for it. Samuel, on the other hand, says, hey, this is what God spoke, and this is what God spoke me, told me to speak to you. So this morning, I want us to look at that message, what God had to do to say to Samuel and figure out how does that apply to our lives. I'm convinced that every one of us can hear and respond to God's call. I believe that with all my heart. I think there's no exceptions. I feel like uh, God has a plan to impact the world through you and through me if we are willing. And how? How do we do it? How can we move to God's impulse? I think there's three ways, three postures that we can take that will help us more than anything else. The first one is to be spiritually aware. Be spiritually aware that God is even speaking. Samuel didn't at first. He didn't get it. He wasn't aware that God was speaking. Why? Because he probably had never had that experience before. He certainly probably wasn't groomed to understand when God was speaking. In fact, when he first approached Eli, Eli himself had forgotten probably what it was like. But let me ask you, have you grown in your life, in your spiritual life, to be aware when God is speaking and moving? 
If not, that's probably the first step. Find the right posture to be aware when God is speaking in your life. You say, well, how, how do I do that? That sounds exciting. I'd love to be part of that. But how do I do that? Well, the first obstacle, honestly, is that most of us just aren't even aware when God is working. And the first thing I want to say is that starts with a personal relationship with him. If you don't have a personal relationship with God, that's the first thing you got to get right. You know, the scriptures teach us how to do that. You know, it says we're all sinful. There's not a person in the world that's perfect. We could all make fun of Eli and even Samuel later on and David and everybody else in these stories until we realize they're us, right? Mm-hmm. And the scriptures teach us that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And that eternal life is defined throughout John in many ways. It's an abundant life. It's an eternal life that lasts forever. It's a life that we get, we get to come back alive again. I mean, all these beautiful things. But one of my favorite passages is found in John 17 in which it says, it's also an opportunity to know God. When Jesus explicitly defines what eternal life is in John 17, it's that they will know my voice. The shepherd, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. That's a beautiful hope. And as we cultivate that relationship with the Lord, we do that through our prayer, our Bible study, our meditations on the Lord. God begins to cultivate in us the awareness of his working in our lives. I guarantee you God's constantly at work around us. We're just not perceiving it. So the first posture is to become aware, to walk with the Lord in such a way that you are aware when he's speaking. It took Samuel, even in this very, I mean, I've never had the moment where I'm sleeping and I hear God's voice. I can tell you stories of people that had something similar happen. But in this moment, I, I've never experienced that so far. Samuel did. But I've seen other times where I've, I've figured out, oh, God's working here. I'm aware that God's constantly at work around me. I've had people come to me and say, well, I don't know how to share my faith with so-and-so. Um, well, do you trust in the Lord? Well, obviously I trust in the Lord. Do you think God wants that person saved? Yeah, I think that person's saved. Are you aware that God's working in their life right now? Well, I hadn't thought of it that way. It's easy for us to curse the world that we live in, right? Remember... Samuel was being called in a time when the people rarely heard a word from the Lord. Not too dissimilar. We think, oh, they don't understand what our times are like now. No, they did. He did. He lived it. In fact, it was so rare that they heard a word from the Lord that the high priest, the most spiritually astute person in the nation, wasn't experiencing this anymore. And yet God still called in that. God can be calling you in that. Are you spiritually aware of God working in and around you? The second posture I want to talk about this morning is being spiritually attentive. Attentive is a little different than awareness. I can be aware that God's at work around me, but not care. I can know that there are people in my house. I'm watching football yesterday, maybe, or whatever show I'm interested in. Or I'm working on my computer. My wife will ask me a question. Uh-huh, yeah, and I'm working on whatever project I've got to get done. And she'll say something again. Uh-huh, yeah. She'll, Are you listening to me? And of course I'm listening to her. I hear her. She's right there on the couch. But I'm not really giving her my attention. And I had to learn early on in my marriage, when my wife wants my attention, she wants my full attention, right? That means I stop doing what I'm doing, I put this down, and I look at her, and we can talk. And she knows she's being heard. Now, we all do that in our own lives. We do that spiritually, right? We think, hey, we can multitask. I got, on, I got in trouble with one of my bosses this week because I was listening to him, and I was doing something that had to get done. And he goes, you know they've proven you can't really multitask. I'm like, no, I, you know, I, what am I going to say is my boss, right? I'm trying to, well, I'm trying to get this. And he goes like, yeah, you do two things really poorly when you do that, or three things really poorly. You don't do one thing really well. And I'm like, well, I can't argue with my boss. I'm smarter than that, right? I'm not giving him my full attention. Are you attentive to what the Lord? I'm going to say, first of all, for us to be attentive to the Lord, we have to be aware of the obstacles. And I think there are the, the biggest obstacles we face are distractions. 
and I think our distractions, in the world that we live in right now, and there's probably many, but I think there are three, work, uh, three distractions we all face more than any other. And probably one of these is going to stand out more in your life. That's work, worries, and nowadays electronics. That's what I'm observing with people. Our work, our worries, and our electronics are what distract us. They distract us for time. We can't even keep track of how much time we've been distracted. And the time passes. And you say, well, this is a harmless game. Or I've got to worry about that because I have to take care of that. And certainly we have to give attention to work. But where does it go from giving our attention to something to distracting us from being attentive to what God's doing? Even at our work, we can be attentive to how God is working. So the first thing I would say is remove those distractions. But that's not enough. We have to cultivate the ability to discern when God is working. And toward that end, I encourage a lot of our church planners and people, pastors I work with, how's your spire? You guys remember that terrible scene when the Notre Dame burned down in Paris? It was very sad to my heart. I love Paris. I lived in France for a long time. When I watched that cathedral burn, the, there was a moment that the spire fell into the building. Did any of you happen to see that in the news? It's very sad because it's hundreds of years old. The wood was hundreds of years old. They can't even find, the forest is gone that was cut down to make that spire. They can't even build that same one again. They're going to try to do some things to repair it the way it was, as much as possible. Well, I say spire. A lot of us have had our spires fall in, and we don't even aware, we're not even aware of it. So I would tell people, on a regular basis, are you developing your spire? Because if you are, I think you'll have a better uh, sense of attentiveness to the Lord. Now, what is the spire? What is he talking about? Well, it's just five, uh, six letters. Let me count right. Yeah, five letters. I can count sometimes. It's five letters that help me to remember, how, what's my checklist on my, in my life? How am I doing spiritually? And I ask uh, pretty regularly, at least once a week, just do a, a mental check or maybe sit down with a journal if you journal and say, how am I doing spiritually? What is God speaking to me? What are the roadblocks in my spiritual life that keep me from hearing God? How am I growing spiritually? How many scriptures have I memorized in the last six months? How many books of the Bible have I read or passages have I incorporated into my daily life or share with people who are in need? The next one being spire, be a P, would be physical. How am I doing physically? I've met a lot of pastor friends that can't serve the Lord because physically they're down and out. Now, we can't control everything that happens to us physically. We can't control anything that ha- everything that happens to us in all five categories. But certainly there's measures we can take to improve our physical health because if we don't, then we're not going to be able to do the long haul for the Lord. The I being the intellectually, are you challenging and growing? Being, are you being challenged and growing intellectually? Or are you just kind of the same that you were years ago? Because here's the thing is, every time I've grown in any way, the Lord uses that for His kingdom's sake. And I'm learning constantly about how the Lord is working. How are you doing in your relationships would be the R, relationally being the people that you spend time with. And it's not just, is my relationship healthy? And that's a big part of it, especially husbands or wives. Um, Because you may or may not recall this, but if you don't have a good relationship with your wife, it doesn't explicitly say this for wives. So I'm not saying you're off the hook, but it doesn't explicitly say this for wives. But 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, what about our prayer life? This is past, husbands, if you want your prayers to be unhindered, treat your wife well. Wives, you can use that. It's in the Bible, all right? <laughs> it literally is. You know, our relationships, not just about how good is the relationship, how is it affecting us in the kingdom work, right? And then how are we using those relationships for the sake of the kingdom? And then finally, the E being emotionally. How are you doing with stuff? This was a rough week. Um, I became aware, some of you may have seen in Facebook and other places, a very prominent minister took his own life this week. It was the third case this week that I came across. Uh, it was a pretty tough week. The other two cases weren't as prominent, so they didn't make the news. Um, two of those were ministers, one wasn't. 
And I think to myself, what, what's going on in their lives? If you're at a place emotionally that you need help, reach out for that help. And doing those emotional checks is very important. And do the same for the people around you. If you check your spire on a regular basis, and I recommend weekly, at least monthly, then you're going to have a better sense of where you are and where you can grow. And then you can use that to project into your own attentiveness to the Lord. Samuel knew where he was. He was serving the Lord. He was in the temple. He was ministering to the Lord. And he was in the best position to hear the Lord. He was aware the Lord was speaking eventually. And then he says, what? Here am I. Speak, for your servant is listening. He was attentive to what God was doing and was listening for what God was saying. Well, I tell you what, there's been times in my life I've done that, and God's done amazing things, not because of me, but through me. And he does that for all of his children. That's the second posture. The third posture I talk about is being spiritually active or, or spirit, spiritual activeness, being prepared to do what God's asked you to do. For some people, that's the real snag. They think, I'll, I'll do whatever God, and then God says, hey, I want you to do this. They're like, Ooh, wait a minute. I'm not sure that's what I meant. I love uh, the call of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. If you're familiar with that, there's this big, he says, I, I saw the Lord in the temple and his robe filled the whole temple and there was smoke and it was an amazing calling. And, and some of you may be aware of this. And God calls Isaiah and Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. And then God says, okay, I've got a job for you. And Isaiah says, whatever it is, I'll do it. And God says, I want you to go preach the message to everyone that's going to reject you for your whole ministry. And Isaiah's like, what? He actually says it in two parts. He goes, I want you to go preach the message, and they're going to reject you. No one's going to listen. And catch this. At the end of the chapter, Isaiah, his next question is, for how long? That's literally what he says. I'm thinking, you know, I'll climb Mount Everest for you, God. No, I want you to preach, and people will never respond. How long, God? And God says, until everyone is dead. That's actually his calling. I'm glad that's not mine, right? And Isaiah says, okay, Lord. And that was his lot in life. That's what he was given. We got one of the longest books of the Bible written by him. But it's a terrible ministry. But he did what God called him to do. Some of us are going to be called to reach hard-to-reach people and hard-to-reach places. I've done ministry where I've seen overwhelming things happen. And I've done ministry where it's like, God, are you around here? Because I don't see your work at all. And I'm trying to be really faithful here. And sometimes it's us and sometimes it's the circumstances. But... But it's about being active, whatever God's called you to do. God says, I want you to tell Eli this message, and he's, it's going to be a hard one. This is your loved one. You care about Eli, but I want you to tell him I'm cutting him off. And Samuel is faithful, and he tells him the message. And as a result of his awareness, his attentiveness, and his action for the Lord, it says, and listen, listen to the very end of this chapter. I'll just, it's a beautiful passage of Scripture. And Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as the prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared to him again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. It's the first recorded time that the entire nation heard from one prophet. Even during the period of Judges, there's usually one tribe that was rescued or one area of Israel. But for the first time, all of Israel heard a word from the Lord. And it says Samuel grew in his faith. He grew as a person. He grew as a prophet. And it says God spoke to him again. Now, if you go back and read, and you guys will be working through 1 Samuel, we actually find God speaks to him a lot of times. In fact, very few people does God speak to him more frequently than to Samuel. 
You see, his willingness to hear God one time and be obedient turns into God speaking again and again and again. We call that obedience-based discipleship. It comes from Luke chapter 16 where Jesus says, if you are faithful in a little, what does he say you'll do? I will add more. If we show ourselves faithful, God will respond with more opportunity for more faithfulness. Now contrast that to Eli. What a sad scenario. That's the posture we do not want. He probably once heard from the Lord. His sons probably never did. We don't have any evidence of it. And God's cutting them off. That's not spiritual attentiveness at all. That's spiritual death. Maybe in Eli's case, it's spiritual sleep. And too often, our churches are that way. Just this week, I heard about a woman and a man. She's the one that mentioned it. They're moving back to a country that's closed access. There were death threats on their life because he was a pastor. And they're moving back there now. And when asked why, she said, I can't stand to live in America any longer. She said it's a satanic lullaby that the church there has fallen asleep and they're unaware. And she'd rather go face potential persecution in the country she's moving back to than stay in the lullaby. That's her interpretation, but I wonder how accurate it is. It speaks to my heart. Am I being sung and lulled to sleep, spiritually speaking? It's a, it's, a, it's a sad thing to think about. I know that you guys have questions, takeaways, and one of them, what does this story proclaim about God and the relationship with his people? I think first and foremost, it says God desires and even offers a relationship. He's speaking. I think he's constantly at work around all of us all the time. But are we, are we aware of it? Are we attentive? Are we looking for God's movement in our lives? God is speaking to his people. It talks about, one of the questions is, how does this fit into the broader picture? I think that, that what we see happening with Samuel is constantly happening in the scriptures. Was Isaiah looking for God or was God looking for Isaiah? Was Abraham looking for God or was God looking for Abraham? How about Moses out there in the desert after he tried to take things in his own hands? He didn't run too far that God couldn't find him. Again and again and again, God called Noah. God's constantly reaching out. He's constantly revealing himself. And those who have enough wherewithal to perceive God at work, and they turn their lives to say, God, here am I. Speak. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. I will do as you wish are the ones that encounter God at a spectacular level. From Rahab, who recognizes the men of God and says, whatever you need, I'll help you with it. To Ruth, who recognizes in her mother-in-law, hey, wherever you go, I'm going to go with you because I want to worship your God. We see these stories all throughout the scriptures. And that's a reminder to you and me that God is calling. Are we listening? Will we, for today at least, change our names to Samuel or Samuel, the one who hears from God? I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and then we're going to have a time of reflection in a sense of the communion. It's going to be an opportunity for you to take a part in an event that Jesus instituted for us, to not just remember that we, uh, the, 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 what we've heard today, but to remember the story that we're all part of, and that is what Jesus instituted on the cross by dying for our sins, and what we as Christians call a substitutionary sacrificial atonement, where he did what we couldn't do so we could have a relationship that we didn't have. It's an amazing thing. You join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come this morning. We want to avoid a spiritual death, a spiritual sleep that we see in people like Eli in this story and his sons, but certainly we see around us all the time. 
Lord, help me be attentively, be aware and attentive to you spiritually, to how you're working in my life. And I pray the same for everyone here. Lord, it's, it's, a, it's a practice we have to develop over time, especially if we're not used to it. Samuel, who you were speaking to, did not yet understand what was happening. But when he did, Lord, I love that passage. It says you went and stood by him the first two times you just called him. But in that fourth occurrence, it says you stood by him. I don't even know what that means, Lord, except it was your proximity to Samuel. There was no denying on his part now that you were speaking directly to him. You were close to where he was at, and we all need that. Where some of us need you near us in presence more than ever right now. We're hurting. Uh, we're disappointed in how life has turned out in this aspect or that. Maybe we're disappointed in how we have acted. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you speak to us in a way that reminds us of your presence and calls us into response. And I pray that you give us the courage, the, the ability to hear and the courage to respond. It's in your name we pray. Amen.